I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Now, I play that Danny Green clip out of pure love. Um, it's, it so happens every time we skip a week for a podcast, famous athletes die. Uh, last time it was, oh, no big deal, Gordy Howe and Muhammad Ali, two of the most legendary figures within their own sports. And we, we lost Danny Green over the last uh, last couple of weeks, too, there. So I wanted to, I, you know, that's maybe the thing he's most famous for, but I'm not trying to make fun of him either because that makes me laugh. That always makes me laugh. So when he has entertain, can entertain, he can entertain. And, and I love that about him. Obviously a very well-respected coach within the community too. Um, I think the stat was Minnesota went to the playoffs eight of his 10 seasons there, and they've been there five out of 14 since. So that really says it all about what a great coach he was. Faced a lot of adversity from being an African-American head coach in this league. But I just wanted to say out uh, to Denny's family, hopefully they're uh, – they are, you know, getting past all all of this and uh, remembering remembering the good times because he was certainly a, a great a great individual and a great coach. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I just got to echo everything you said about Dennis Green. He's uh, definitely a great coach and part of a lot of really good teams there in Minnesota. So he's definitely a, a person who will be missed. Yeah, and the guy that was really successful wherever he went. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just a quality a quality coach, and uh, you know, important to a lot of people around here, be being in kind of Vikings territory there too. So, you know, it, it hits it hits home a little bit more here with a lot of people around here, especially guys uh, my age um, who grew up as De- with Denny B and their coach Andy Carlson, our buddy over at Denny Green. If you haven't checked that out, and you are a Minnesota Vikings fan, you certainly uh, need to. Speaking of Guys, my age, Tom Brady. It's his birthday today. He for six months he uh, he is older than me, so he's thirty. Turns thirty nine this today, August third. Uh, also, former defensive tackle Chris Jenkins turned thirty seven today. So happy birthday to those two former NFL or not former NFL players. One former NFL player. <laughs> Sorry, but this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We are very. Very happy to be joining you today after a week off. I do want to mention that uh, our our buddies uh, Chris Tubbs and Bill Latin have started an IDP podcast. So um, not you're not totally off the IDP hook, Nick, because we'll still uh, we'll still talk a little bit here and there, but maybe it's alleviated some of the IDP talk here. So we'll see. Uh, we'll cut, we'll work with them moving forward and try to hit on some things. But I am still an IDP writer, so I got I got to let my uh, let my opinion be heard. So um, uh, we also featured another new podcast next week, uh, the Never Ending Glory podcast, which is hosted by another DFW writer here by the name of Luke Grilly and one of his uh, friends. So make sure you check uh, all of those podcasts out. That's kind of more of a, like a redraft type of thing. So we're trying to hit, hit you at all angles here, and uh, not to mention some fabulous posts uh, this week. Uh, Mike, Kraft looked back at our at our rankings and kind of talked about a few players that moved up and down, whatnot this morning in the uh, the Dynasty Movement article. Um, always have the Q and A every week. Bruce Kibbrough recently looked at uh, Sean Davis, the new defensive back there, in uh, which he could be in for a little bit more playing time with Sinquist Golston probably uh, hurt again. Uh, great uh, great article by a. Uh, uh, Alan Satterley on target biometrics. Um, I also t- took a look at the uh, middle tier of rookie running back. So make sure you check out all that stuff that we've done here uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, let's get started on a little bit of these signings. So well, one thing I just wanted to get you, kind of wanted to maybe catch you off guard, but I know you're probably prepared anyway, Nick. I didn't put it in the right, but what do you think about uh, Josh Gordon's value? I mean, I think everybody was just like, uh, either had held out some hope or he just kind of wrote him off. Now we kind of know what's going on. The, the suspension bowl as Brady and Gordon are going to be back against each other week five. What what do you think about Josh Gordon's value this year and, and moving forward? Uh, it's a little tough to judge this year. Um, 
just because he's been out of the game for so long. But if he's able to stay clean, and, you know, he's pretty much kept out of trouble over the last year for the most part, it seems. But otherwise, he probably wouldn't be allowed back in. So if he is able to stay clean, I think uh, especially next year uh, and maybe towards the end of this year, you can see him start to maybe uh, come back into the form that he showed in 2013. Yep, yep, and we'll see what RG3 can do, and they could have uh, the Baylor Bear offense there. Maybe they – I know – I know Baylor's got a running back in, in college right now that's doing fairly well, so maybe they can make it an all-Baylor uh, skill positions there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, if he can somehow work together with Corey Coleman, they're obviously both very different players. Gordon is more of the uh, the physical freak type of player, and Coleman's just a straight athletic freak. So uh, they could have something really good going, pending they get a, a guy to run that offense. I'm not saying RG3 can't, but uh, I don't, actually, I think the, with Gordon back, I think that's going to be kind of a fun team to watch. Duke Johnson... You know, people keep forgetting about Isaiah Crowell, who's certainly a decent between the tackles guy too. So that that could be a, a fun offense to watch, even if even if they're struggling, because you know they'll probably be a little bit more of an air raid type of team. So, what do you think about Anquan Bolden to the Lions, Nick? Um, he's not Calvin Johnson. He's not even remotely that big. He is a nice veteran presence. Uh, for this team, combined with Golden Tate and Marvin Jones, and uh, a guy that can really sling it, and Matthew Stafford, I think it's I think it's a nice fit, don't you think? I really do. I mean, you look at last year in San Francisco, Anquan Bolden had 69 catches for 789 yards and four scores, and uh, on a team that definitely does not have anywhere near the offensive. Uh, capabilities that Detroit does, especially in the passing game. So it wouldn't surprise me if his numbers were actually slightly better this year. Uh, I do think Marvin Jones's short-term value takes a little bit of a hit, as does Eric Ebron's, because uh, I, I would figure Bolden's going to see a lot of those underneath targets that otherwise would have gone to the tight end. See, I, I refrained from saying the Ebron name before that, but I actually think, and I know Ebron took a little bit of a hit in our rankings this month, but uh, and last month, but I think Bolden could potentially help Ebron. You know, maybe if if Ebron's able to learn from him, and and in some aspects, you know, so far moving go, going up to the season. But Ebron is certainly not going to see a lot of double team and whatnot. So maybe even in the red zone, maybe maybe Ebron's kind of that eight to ten touchdown guy. Or maybe I'm just <laughs> really saying my prayers here. Do we? care about Andre Johnson to the Titans? What, what is he going to give? I mean, we saw him completely disappear, basically, in Indianapolis last year. Obviously, there was a bit of a quarterback issue there, too. And certainly, he could be good at locker room guy for these younger wide receivers. But what do you think about that signing there, Nick? Um, I'm not really excited about it from a fantasy perspective. If he goes over 500 yards, I'll be surprised. But you mentioned his locker room presence, and I do think that that's going to help out the young Tennessee receivers like BGB and uh, Tajay Sharp develop into professionals. So while their uh, redraft value might take a hit for this year, I actually like their long-term projections a little bit more now with Andre Johnson in the fold. Yeah, and we'll see what he can give them. It it is interesting that he went to a, a, a team – and I know you're a Mariota guy, but a team that that's probably not going to make it, to put it nicely. So that's – and then I guess that's that's how uh, the rest of the league viewed his uh, attributes there too. So they didn't – nobody that was winning necessarily wanted him. So we'll see what he can give there. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick back with Gang Green. Obviously, this is good news for Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker owners – um, I actually own Fitzpatrick on an orphan team too. And uh, with my other quarterback being big Ben, who we'll talk about a little bit later as we pit big Ben versus Matt Ryan. Um, big Ben tends to miss a game or two here and there. So it's nice to have a quality, a quality uh, backup there. And actually Fitzpatrick outscored big Ben last year. And I know big Ben missed a few games last year, but uh, what do you think about this signing? Long time. Well, I think Fitzpatrick. Uh, yeah, definitely a long time coming, but uh, he should have similar numbers as last year, I would guess. 3,900 yards and 31 scores is what he put up last season. Uh, but like you mentioned, his biggest impact is on the New York Jets receiving core. Their owners can definitely breathe a sigh of relief that Geno Smith's not going to be throwing the rock. Yep. And I think I traded away Decker and Marshall this past rookie draft season, but that's okay. Uh, I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um what just something came to me, Nick, as I was actually writing my middle tier article here about the rookie running backs. What is the difference between an RB two and a third down back? Now I want to preface that with a couple other questions here, Nick. Can 
an RB2 also be a third down specialist? Or must the RB2 be like a clone of the RB1? What, what do you think? Well, I think it helps if the RB2 is more of an RB1 clone. Uh, you look at the differences. Usually size is the biggest difference. RB2 must be able to step in as the RB1 if the target or So the ability to run between the tackles is a must. Uh, for example, Chris Thompson, who is 5'8", 193 pounds, showed a lot of promise last year as a third down back in Washington. But when Alfred Morris was gassed, it was Matt Jones, not Thompson, who filled in. Uh, the third down backs must have good hands and a good understanding of route running. And when they get the ball, it's usually in space. So I guess shiftiness maybe comes in a little bit handier than it, for the third down back than it does for the RB2s, who just uh, sometimes crash into the line every down. Uh, now, in fantasy terms, uh, in PPR leagues especially, third down backs can definitely be viable RB2s, guys that you'd want to start almost every week, guys like Danny Woodhead. Whereas the RB2, where in San Diego's case, that would be Brandon Oliver, he's more of just a handcuff, not really somebody you want to rely on in fantasy. Oh, glad you went in that route, too. I kind of kind of hit you with that same information. Pretty sure Chris Thompson is 5'7 and a half. But anyway, um, the, the point of this whole discussion is when you're depth charting, as I like to do, you know, whether you're looking at our lads or whatever your favorite sports site is, that's one thing to note. If you are whatever your fantasy site you use, if you're looking at a depth chart, you see, oh, there are RB2s on own. Maybe I should grab him. That's not necessarily a guy that's going to give you value and a guy that you can plug and play if needed week to week. Now, if you have, you know, that uh, that that guy's main running back, yeah, it's a good it's a good handcuff type of situation there. So maybe that's basic information, but just when you're looking at depth charts, you got to realize. Just because the RB2 is available doesn't mean that you need to grab him. Look at look at who's getting receptions on that team. Look who's getting targets at least, you know, those first couple of games, you know. Matt Asiata is maybe the RB2 or maybe the RB3, but he's not, not anywhere near the third down back Jarek McKinnon will be for this offense. Now, I think they're a little, little bit different situation because I think Jarek McKinnon's willing to – We'll, we'll be the RB1 there if Adrian Peterson ever retires, which I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but uh, I think he could step in and be an RB1, and Matt Jones would still kind of be the, the third down, maybe short yardage goal line special, or Matt Asiata, excuse me. But, but again, Asiata's just on a one-year deal, though, so I don't know if I just muddied the waters there. But uh, any other thoughts there on the RB2 versus the third down back discussion? Well, uh, like you mentioned, Asiata is the goal linebacker. That is one thing that RB2s do have going for them is sometimes you can get that sneaky uh, uh, touchdown vulture with the RB2 play. Yes, the Brandon Jacobs factor. Who was that guy that used to steal? Actually, he's not the first. Who was the guy that used to steal touchdowns from Barry Sanders? Was it Jimmy Stewart? Was it said his name was it James Stewart or something like that? Oh, I, I uh, have absolutely no idea. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I used to drink on Thanksgiving too. Uh, <laughs> you know, the only time that you ever watch Lions games. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not making fun of Lions fans. I'm just saying that's the time most people know what I'm talking about. Um, ooh, it is Dynasty Dilemma time. Now, this is something that we do each and every week, uh, along with guys things like Dynasty trade analysis and some plant your flag or wash your hands that type of thing. Um, but we're gonna pit two players against each other this week. We are doing. Um, wide receivers, excuse me, not wide receivers, quarterbacks. A couple quarterbacks that have some very good wide receivers. But we're looking at Ryan, Matt Ryan, excuse me, versus Big Ben Roethlisberger. So uh, to go first. So uh, I'll put a short clip and we'll see what Nick has to say about Mr. Ben Roethlisberger. Now, I'll admit Matt Ryan may be a safer pick than Ben Roethlisberger. He's had six straight years playing all 16 games, five straight years over 4,000 yards, and 20 touchdowns or more in seven straight seasons. But even though Matt Ryan's only 31, it seems as he may have already peaked. His career highs in yards, touchdowns, and completion percentage was way back in 2012. Let's put that in perspective. Matt Ryan's best season came when Robert Griffin was still considered to be elite. Uh, 2012 was also the last season Matt Ryan led the Falcons to a winning record. Uh, Ryan has, for the most part of his career, had a very solid supporting cast. Julio Jones, Roddy White, Tony Gonzalez. But now Julio is his only elite weapon. Uh, Big Ben was solid before Antonio Brown was a stud. Uh, Could Matt Ryan carry a team if Julio were to get hurt? I kind of doubt it. 
Now, I'm sure you'll argue that Ben gets hurt sometimes. And, yes, he does. He's missed 15 games over the last 10 seasons, including four last year. He did play in one game that he didn't start. Uh, in his 11 starts last year, that was a personal low. So that's not really that big of a pattern. I'm not too concerned about that. Plus, he threw 21 touchdowns and 16 interceptions last year in those 12 games. Guess who else threw exactly 21 touchdowns and 16 interceptions? Yep, Matt Ryan, but it took him a full 16 games to do what Big Ben did in 12. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is older, yes, but week to week I trust him uh, when he's in the lineup to put up better numbers than Matt Ryan. Uh, sometimes you have to gamble a little bit to win a championship, and while Matt Ryan is the safer bet, if you're looking at not just to make the playoffs but actually win it all, I believe Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback that could lead you there. Okay, went with the old burgundy, got a gamble style. I like it. Um, I honestly didn't see that coming from you. But anyway, um, I do want to apologize. I think our last dilemma was probably my worst dilemma ever. That just got really muddied the waters. It was supposed to be Langford versus the Jai, and there was a lot of Arian Foster talk. And I had already written about that subject, so then Arian Foster got drafted or got signed. So uh, this week I just wrote down a mantra for my – for my dilemma is I want to say um, this dilemma is not about Julio Jones or Antonio Brown. First and foremost, I want to say that let's just look at the two quarterbacks. I know they're, they're obviously top weapons, but let's just look at the quarterbacks. So coincidentally, Ryan and Big Ben are ranked ninth and 11th all-time respectively in completion percentage. Both have produced solid completion percentages over the last three years, but Ryan's has really gotten solid even – Excuse me, have have gotten really good and solid. Uh, one, he's gone over six thousand annual attempts. Now, one to think more passes in, a, in that same span would hurt his overall numbers, especially considering uh, Atlanta's been a non-contender. Yet Ryan has remained solid even with his team struggle, and even in the post Tony Gonzalez era, often and even in post time, excuse me, and he's obviously kept his excuse me, kept his cash completion percentage up in the post-Tony Gonzalez era, which I think it's taken a little bit of a dip, but it hasn't, it's been nowhere or where it has when it was at the start of his career. So I think he is actually maturing. I don't think he has peaked. Often we debate, debate quarterbacks in the same draft class in hopes of having similar – hopes that they have similar number of starts so we can poke each other via statistics. Since Nick has the elder Big Ben, who has 46 more starts than Ryan, I believe I got him locked up here in this matter. With more talent around him, Big Ben has 70 more touchdown passes and 10,000 more yards in his career. Now, and that's in 46 more starts. Now, I don't think it's unfair to think that if these two had the same number of starts in their career, that the numbers, numbers would be quite similar. Big Ben also has just three 4,000 passing yard seasons. Matty Ice has gone over 4,000 in each of the last five seasons and over 4,500 in each of the last four seasons. So if this is the case, why, why take Big Ben with an 8.01 ADP when you could snatch up Matt Ryan 12.02 ADP? Heck, you can even grab Ryan a round or two higher than, than that, and you will get two or three more years of production than him with him out of more than the oft injured Roethlisberger. Now, Dynasty, Redraft, DSF, no matter what your game is, you know how incredibly annoying it is when your quarterback gets hurt. Even if it's just one game or your slinger is questionable all week and then a game time decision. Some of you have felt the agony of losing the quarterback. Some of you have even felt the agony of losing the quarterback in the first quarter of a game. If this sounds familiar, guess what? Chances are you've probably been victimized in these circumstances by Big Ben, who has missed an average of 1.6 games per season over the last decade. And like Nick said, he missed four games last year. Meanwhile, Ryan has missed two games his entire career and has gone has gone six seasons without missing one. So, again, four-round ADP difference I think is the big thing here, especially considering – Ryan is younger, so that that's that's the that's the points I want to hammer home here at the end. Nick, do you have any rebuttal? 
Uh, well, first, I love your point about uh, the ADP value that you can get Matt Ryan four rounds later. Uh, but I will say that uh, early reports out of Falcons training camp is that Matt Ryan's already thrown five interceptions. So, I mean, the first week of uh, training camp means everything, right? He's going to have a horrible year. <laughs> Uh, no, that means he's forcing things. He's taking chances. I love it. Uh, I wish he threw 15 <laughs> interceptions already. Um, um, and maybe that means the Falcons will have a defense. <laughs> uh, sorry, Dan Quinn, but you can do better. We know you can. And I think they will have a better defense. Um, uh, yeah, it's a good dilemma. Two great players, too. I mean, obviously, I would be happy with either one of these. Coincidentally, I own Matty Ice in our 16-team league, and, and Nick owns Big Ben in our in, in the same league, which I just now thought of. I didn't even think about that until the, uh, this very moment. So, yeah, uh, great, great great dilemma there. So, um, last time we joined you, we did a 2014 rookie draft, which was wide receiver heavy and pretty awesome and fun. Um, now we're going to do a 2016 rookie redraft, rookie draft redo, excuse me, uh, 2013. And let's just say it's not going to be as fun. We're only going to do 10 picks and, um, no IDP. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see how we deal with this here. But, uh, yeah, um, and ooh, I get to go first since I let Nick go first last time. We didn't really discuss it, but I'm going to go first. So the two big names here are obviously uh, Le'Veon Bell, who we know has had his struggles both on and off the field. So the I, I just have to go with the safer pick, and it's no surprise to Nick, I'm sure. But I with 1.01 2016, excuse me, excuse me, 2013. Rookie draft redo. I swear I haven't been drinking today yet. I'm just trying to talk really fast, I guess. Um, I'm going to take – are you ready for this, Nick? DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> what, what do you got? Uh, well, that was the least suspenseful number one overall pick ever. Knowing <laughs> how much you love your boy DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know what? At number two, I'm actually going to pass on Le'Veon Bell. He's got the – issues, uh, it scares me a little bit. So I'm going to go with Keenan Allen. I just think he's a little bit of a safer pick. And if not for the injury last year, he would have been had a huge season. So really hoping for big things from Keenan Allen this season. Well, <laughs> considering the rest of the field, I, I got no problem taking, uh, taking Les Bell with the 1.03. I mean, I, I got to look at I got to look, you know, I got to dismiss EJ Manuel and, uh, of course, uh, Geno Smith. But, uh, yeah, it's not going to look as pretty here. And I know Eddie Lacy is also out there. I'm sure that might be your next pick. But I, I think Bell is just a more well-rounded player This in the RP world. So, um, PPR world, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, Levy and Bell, 1.03. <laughs> Do you look at these rankings, Nick, and like, who the hell is Jonathan Franklin running back Green Bay Packers? Do you have any idea who that is? Uh, I need to look him up. Anyway, what do you got? Well, I believe he was their fifth-round pick that year, if I'm not mistaken. Fifth or sixth, anyway. Yeah, there was some people who thought that he was going to uh, be a threat to to uh, Eddie Lacy back in the day. Um, at number four, I'm uh, going to go a little uh, – little different here just because this is such a weak draft i'm going to actually take jordan reed the tight end uh, who uh, went in the uh, end of the third round back in 2013 um when healthy this guy's a top three to five tight end so i think the value is there and you know he does have the risk factors with health but at least we don't worry about him staying in shape like we do with eddie Lacy. so i'm going to go with jordan reed at number four yeah i like that pick there um but that does leave me eddie Lacy. now now that you mentioned a little bit more about Franklin. I do remember him there. I think he was uh, out of UCLA. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he like deaf maybe? Was, uh, I think that – I could be wrong. But uh, maybe deaf in one year or something like that. But, yeah, he looked to be a decent uh, – I think he was a little smaller guy. looked to be a decent third down back type of player. But, uh, yeah, I got to go Eddie Lacy if you're going to leave the door open there for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll happily do that. All right, well, uh, the next best running back on the board, I believe, has to be Latavis Murray, who went uh, 3.07 back in 2013. He's not a sexy pick, but he's went for over 1,000 yards last year and is in line to start again this year. So I'll go ahead and take your guy, Latavis Murray. Okay. Oh, well, 
it's I like think after this it might get really ugly, but um <laughs> just some of these names on here, Denard Robinson, Aaron Dobson, Joseph Randall, uh uh, but there's a couple other tight ends out there that are, are fairly decent. I know Nick went up and took his boy, no surprise, Jordan Reed. Um, so you're looking at Tyler Eifert versus Zach Ertz. Now, we've only really seen it one year, and Ertz actually has been a very solid player. You know, we want to think he could be that Travis Kelsey player. Um, so I, I'm going to actually take Ertz over Eifert here because – and I know Eifert's already already dinged up, and we've that's kind of been a running pattern throughout his career. So I'm going to go Ertz over Eifert there with 1.07. Nick, what do you think? Um, a little surprised you went Ertz over Travis Kelsey, but you know, not not shockingly surprised. I understand yeah. the reasoning behind it. Uh, I think at uh, number seven, I've got to go with Giovanni Bernard, who was the number one overall pick uh, in the 2013 fantasy rookie drafts. Uh, he's gone for over a thousand. Value than that. Okay, so um, as <laughs> as a guy, just because there really isn't a whole lot left, as a guy that's tight end starred over the place, I will actually take a uh, take Kelsey as well. Why not? Leave, leaving you life right there, I guess. If you want, um, you know what? I'm or actually going to pass on. <laughs> I'm going to pass on both those guys, surprisingly enough. But uh, Marcus Wheaton, I think he's got a golden opportunity this year with uh, Martavis Bryant out with the suspension. Uh, Wheaton, uh, 600, years two, 600 yards two years ago, 750 yards almost last season. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if he hit the 1,000-yard mark this year. Okay, and is that 10 picks? I think we did it. We, and we didn't get yeah. the Tyler Eifert goes undrafted. Um since you're such a big Marcus Wheaton fan, Nick, I do own him in DFW 36. So we will talk after the podcast. <laughs> uh, maybe you're not in win now mode in there. Either am I. That's why I'm talking. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no Tyler Eifert. Yeah, but after uh, Nuke and Le- Le'Veon Bell, it's a little muddy. I was surprised Gio lasted as long as he did. But, you know, Eddie Lacy up there as well. So some decent uh, – Decent players there available, certainly. Um, not as fun as the 2014, excuse me, 2000, yeah. Now, not as fun as the 2014 where we had, I think, one one or two running backs and a whole lot of wide receivers there last week. So, um, Let's do a little dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Now, uh, this is from our buddy Bill Latin and uh, T-Rex3, I guess. I don't know what his real first name is from DFW30, excuse me, DFW16. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Robert Turbin, and 2017 7th for, so basically DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, and the 2017 7th for Melvin Gordon, Devin Funches, a 2017 first and a 2017 4th. What do you think? Um, I'm not as against the trade as a lot of the community was, but I still think that's not enough to give up for DeAndre Hopkins, who's you know still so young and uh, may not even be in the prime of his career yet. I, I would need a lot more than that to part ways with Hopkins. Okay. Um, I I was a little surprised that Bill gave up DeAndre Hopkins for yeah for not as much. Either, and I know he's going to yell at both of us, <laughs> but uh, um, I do know that Bill is is sticking to his guns. That he thinks he thinks there's going to be a little bit of a regression. Now, obviously, 190 targets you're going <laughs> is not possible every single year, um, and he could still be a good player. But you, you also got to look at the quarterback situation. Is um, and then Nick, I know you love DeAndre, but. You also don't like Osweiler, so we, you know, common common ground there. You, you just don't know how that's going to play out, and obviously we've seen Nuke do do more with less. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that situation works out. I I think it's a fair deal, and he uh, he's certainly a guy that's buying up Melvin Gordon shares there too. So I I don't know if I would accept it for DeAndre. And this and this being the 16 team league, it's, I think it's a little hard to give up a lot of pieces like that. And there's some other things moving around there too, but uh, I I think it's fair. It's not uh, 
some people might have a bigger, harsher reaction to it, but I think it's a, a fairly. Um, Bashard Perryman in 2017 first for Tyler Lockett. What do you think? Yeah, I, I know Tyler Lockett's been getting a lot of love in the community, and, you know, I, he's a player that I do really like. But the fact is he didn't have 700 yards last year, uh, and so if you're able to get a first-round pick in return plus a wild card like Perriman who could develop into a great player, definitely has the size and the speed to do so if he can stay healthy. I, I think I would I would get part ways with Tyler Lockett for that, for that package. Okay. Um. No, so this was a oh, sorry. This was a trade that was proposed to me, um, and I did not accept it. I I tried to ask for more. I'm trying to shoot for the moon with lockets, you know. I think I've said this before, and, and obviously it's the small wide receiver thing. You know, is Tyler Lockett the next Antonio Brown? Can he be that in that offense? Is I think is the even even better question. I, I don't know if some people are thinking that, you know, in Lockett's obviously Doug Baldwin and any any semblance of Jimmy Graham just be on the field even as a decoy. I think I think Lockett could have a very good good role, obviously if you're this league does not, but if you're in a league that gets return yards, he's he's certainly a valuable player to have. Um I wanted more. I think some people would have been one would absolutely crazy if I would have gotten more. Some people thought that was an overpay for uh, for Lockett there too. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I just I just couldn't do it because I think I thought I could shoot for the moon. Maybe maybe I was wrong there, but I, I'm certainly okay with having Lockett uh, on my roster there. So, got to protect those young receivers. And we, you know, already being invested in Perryman somewhere else. I really don't want <laughs> don't want to be wrapped too much into that there either. So. Um, what do you think about Tyler Eifert, Wendell Smallwood, and C.J. Spiller for Austin Safarian Jenkins, a 2017 first and a 2019 second? This is from our good buddy Brian Hawks. I don't know the league specs. I'm assuming it would be a PPR 12 team probably. But um, what, what do you think about that deal? I think it's fairly even. I would probably lean slightly towards the side that picked up the two draft picks, even though the second rounder is all the way down the road in 2019. But Tyler Eifert, for all the talent that he has, he's been so injury prone. He's uh, recovering from an injury right now. Uh, The running backs, they're, you know, uh, Smallwood could have a big season, especially if Ryan Matthews uh, continues to deal with his injury problems. But neither of them are sure things. So picking up a first and a second round pick, and Austin Severian Jenkins is not really high on him at this point. Uh, it sounds like Cameron Bratt might be the tight end to, to own there in in uh, Tampa Bay. But still, picking up uh, two high picks like that, I, I I've got to side with that with that team. Yeah, you know, I really like the SJ come now, and I. I expected a little bit more out of him, and, and maybe we'll see that. Maybe we'll see him turn the corner. He's also been uh, a fairly injury-prone player. But, yeah, getting that 2017 first, I think, is huge in this. Who knows what that 2019 second will be. But uh, I I don't think he gave up too much uh, Considering what he got, what what Brian Brian got ASJ in the two picks in this aspect, so I don't think he gave up too much there. Spiller obviously maybe has a year left. Smallwood, we'll see. You know, we'll see what he develops into. The jury's certainly still out on him. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's a fair deal, but I think I certainly would side with like Nick said, the guy with the uh, two picks there. Um, time for some 2016 rookie sleepers. We're just going to go kind of around the field to get you some IDP guys in here too. But what what do you think, Nick? Uh, obviously, the first one is a little bit tricky when we talk about uh, quarterbacks, but uh, what, what, do you, what do you think? Do you have a sleeper for us? Uh, a couple of them, actually. Real quick, uh, Dak Prescott now in Dallas with Kellen Moore's injury uh, could be in line to take that number two uh, job if they do not sign a, a veteran back up there. Uh, but the guy I'd originally planned on talking about is Cody Kessler in Cleveland, and it's all about the landing spot. Uh, you know, RG3 may never be the player he was in 2012 again, and the head coach Hugh Jackson has done good things with Andy Dalton, who, like Kessler, isn't the most physically gifted player, but, you know, if, uh, if Jackson can mold him the way he did Dalton, then there could be a bright future. Ahead. Okay, yeah. 
I I I, I like both of those. We'll see. We'll see. I just was not a fan of Kessa going out, coming out, and I know I own a couple shares, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what he can give. Um, I actually wanted to. The, this is hard because you know we don't. We obviously know the three guys that have a chance to start. Um, so we don't. You know, it's not really worth mentioning Wentz Lynch or uh, obviously Jared Goff, who is going to be the starter. Um, so that I, I felt, you know, obviously Nick took it the same way. I felt like we should go a little bit deeper. The other the other big name out there is Cardell Jones. But I think I think Tyrod's going to probably get signed here in the next couple of weeks, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I really like Jeff Driscoll, and I just really think he could run that offense. I know he's got two veterans ahead of him, but if, if so happens he gets on the field, I think that – I, that could be a good, a good marriage. Him there with Chip Kelly. We'll see how long Chip lasts too. Um, and I also wanted to throw out there Kevin Hogan in Kansas City. Um, if Alex Smith ever gets hurt, I think Hogan is is the same type of player. I think he could run that offense fairly well. And he's also a guy. If you get some some things out there, some leagues out there give a little more incentive for quarterback rushing yards and. Alex Smith had a fairly decent number of rushing yards over the last couple of years. So if Hogan is asked to do that same type of thing, I think he could think he could break through. Um, what about running back there, Nick? What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Ferguson in Indianapolis. Uh, he ran a 4-4-8-40, so you know he's quick. Uh, he's only got Frank Gore, Robert Turbin, and Jonathan Todman in front of him. I could easily see him rising up that depth chart on what should be a pretty potent offense in Indianapolis. Um. You know, I like I still like Todman in that in that scheme. I don't know if he's good. We'll see if he makes the team. We'll see what the what the money situation works out. But uh, I I don't know. NFL Network was re-showing the the crazy uh, Bengals Steelers playoff game last year, and every time Todman touched the ball, he looked looked like a man possessed. So I think if he gets a shot, he's you know he's bounced around Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, and now and now Indy. I think he could certainly be a quality player there, but. This, Get back to the rookies, and I'm not a San Francisco 49er fan, but I want to I want to still stick there with my rookie pick uh, as I went Driscoll and Kelvin Taylor. I don't know how he's going to rise up that depth chart or how it's going to shake out, but he's another guy. If he gets a chance, I think I think he he could do some good things. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but uh, Chip Kelly likes giving those guys the ball in space, and I think he's a, definitely an underrated receiver as well. So I think he's a, a guy that could flourish. Maybe he's their third down back. We'll see. But I think he's a guy that could certainly do some damage for this team if given the opportunity. So what do you got for me on wide receiver there, Nick? Well, I'm going to go really deep here. He's probably not a guy to sign, but DFW's rookie wide receiver 26, Braylon Addison in Denver, is a guy to monitor at least. Uh, Denver's long sought a wide receiver three for their team, and I think Addison could possibly provide the shiftiness they've been searching for. He's not even a lock to make the roster, but just pay attention to how the wide receiver three competition pans out in Denver. Uh, Cody Latimer, Jordan Norwood, Benny Fowler, uh, those are guys that it's not impossible to see Addison surpassing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, a little on the smaller side, kind of the wide receiver uh, running back hybrid type of player. I, I got, he's got a good speed, so with the quality receivers, you know, and Manny Sanders and Demarius, I think he could he could do some damage if given the opportunity. Um, I don't know if these are really sleepers because I, I saw a rumor out of camp that Tajay Sharp's taking a lot of snaps there with Mr. Mariota. But, man, I really like him, and I, I think Tennessee is really falling in love with him, and I'm not worried about the Andre Johnson signing. I think Sharp could actually do some really good things. So he's – and if you don't – not comfortable, you know, and you have a taxi squad, you know, throw him on there and see see what happens. I think he could develop into a decent player. And I also just want to throw out Rashard Higgins' name out there. I feel like he's getting no love and getting a lot less love now, now with the Josh Gordon news. But this guy catches the ball. He just – he. Gets, so he can catch a lot of receptions. He could be a Derek Mason type of player. Not overly big, not overly strong, but he just catches the ball. And and with quarterbacks situation in flux, a guy that they they can depend on, you know, maybe you know, maybe he's the maybe he's a Dwayne Bow in the heyday seven 
seven for seventy type of player. Maybe maybe he's that type of guy. Not a flashy guy, but a guy that just gets you gets you targets and gets you receptions. So I really like that and I just don't understand why people are disrespecting him. What do you got for us on tight end Nick? I'm going to go to Carolina and their seventh-round pick, uh, Bo Sandland. Uh, he might be decent insurance uh, for Greg Olson owners. Uh, he's 6'4", 253 pounds, ran a 4.7440, uh, coming out of Montana State, but he originally was with the University of Miami, so he's probably got a little bit better athletic pedigrees than some of the other Division II guys. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to contribute this year most likely, but possibly a year, two, three down the road uh, once Greg Olson decides to retire. Uh, Greg Olson is another guy like AP. I don't know if he's ever going to retire. <laughs> he just keeps keeps plugging away. I love that guy. But anyway, um, maybe it's a sentimental pick. And I haven't. I've been waiting all summer to say this. Just wait for the perfect moment to for, to arrive. Uh, but I think David Morgan in Minnesota could actually do some do some really good things. He might be he might be as a H back, a fullback, blocking tight end in year one, but I think as things get, as they get comfortable with him, and of course my other true love in Minnesota, Michael Pruitt, I, I'm going to go out on a huge limb here. Maybe this should be a bold prediction segment, but I think a couple years from now, we can see David Morgan and Michael Pruitt as like a uh, Colby Fleener, uh, Dwayne Allen type of situation. I really like both of those young young players there from Minnesota, so like I said, it might take a year or so for Morgan to really gel and uh, understand this offense. But you look at the wide receiver talent and Diggs and obviously uh, Treadwell, there, nobody's going to be concerned about these tight ends when they've got two guys like that, uh, you know, just killing killing down the sidelines. So I, I, I really like – Obviously, it's got to be excited if you're a Minnesota fan and all this young talent around them. I think I think Morgan could come through and be a quality player for them. Um, what do you got for us on the defensive line side, Nick? Well, this may, might not be quite as deep as a lot of these other sleepers, but uh, Jihad Ward, your guy in Oakland, uh, DFW's rookie defensive lineman, number 11, uh, just because of the fact that he's playing uh, alongside a guy named Khalil Mack, uh, who's going to attract a lot of attention from opposing offenses that could really free things up for uh, for Ward to make some plays. Yeah, I like him too. I We'll see what he can do year one. I think if they move him along like they did Mario Edwards last year. I think I think he could be a decent player there. Um I again probably not a, necessarily a uh a sleeper it, and maybe just cuz I don't view him as a sleeper, but I think everybody else probably does. I still am in, emphatically in love with Jaron Reed in Seattle. I just I I know it might take a year and I know he's probably not on the top of the depth chart right now, but just watch film on this guy. Watch him get blocked, break off a block, and just collapse on a on a ball carrier. Just he just understands the game so well and what he needs to do and what he has to do in his role. I think he could just. And I'm not sure if it's going to be this huge IDP thing, but he's not a guy that's going to kill your IDP if you play in a defensive tackle required leagues. I think he could potentially be a decent pass rusher too, if they unleash him in that aspect there. So love still got a lot of love out there for Mr. Jaron Reed. Nick, what do you have on linebacker? Well, the second-round linebacker, Sue Cravens, may get all the rookie linebacker headlines in Washington, but the seventh-rounder, Stephen Daniels, from Boston College, graded out very well against the run last year. It's not impossible to eventually uh, see uh, Daniels playing the running downs and Sue Cravens coming in on passing downs. Interesting. Okay. I, I need to look a little bit more at that guy. Um, uh guy that I have been pounding the door for all summer, and probably even pre-draft, Devondre Campbell in Atlanta. Now, he plays inside and outside, so he's the perfect utility backer for for Dan Quinn and whatever they want to do with him, I think he will be able to do it, whether it's uh, nickel, nickel backer or whatnot. Lots of lots of linebackers, lots of moving pieces on this on this on this depth chart, but I think they're going to love his versatility, and it's going to lead to snaps in, in different situations. And 
things where he can hold his ground. If if there's just a player, you know, well, we don't know who to put in this situation. If they can, he's the, if he's the guy they can plug in there, he's going to make things happen. And I think you're going to see him develop into a starter. Don't think he's going to see any starts at all year one, but I think he's going to develop into a solid player for, uh, for Dan Quinn. Maybe, you know, maybe as a KJ Wright type of ceiling, I really believe he can do that if given the opportunity there. So who do you have uh, DB there, Nick? Well, normally when you look at a DB, you look at your strong safeties because they rack up the big tackle numbers. But another way to go, uh, at least with rookies, is you look at the rookie cornerbacks who are going to both earn playing time and have a quality corner opposite them. And Vernon Hargreaves fits into that mold. He's already working with the starting unit in Tampa Bay and opposite Brent Grimes. He could see a lot of work, uh, kind of similar to how Marcus Peters put up pretty good IDP numbers as a rookie in Kansas City. Yeah... Yeah, we'll see. I really think Marcus Peters is rookie year was an aberration, but we'll see what he can. Uh, we'll see what he gives down the road. I think he'll still be a solid play this year. But uh, and I and I like the pick. I I think Hargreaves certainly will get will get a little disrespected and picked on there. So I think he can uh, answer the call there. Um, I'm gonna go with Sean Davis. I, we talked about him earlier. Bruce obviously wrote a, an article about him this week and. I with with Golson already hurt, and I know they drafted a first round cornerback too, whose name is escaping me. But I, I Sean Davis is gonna can play that nickel role. He can play that free safety role. I think he could even step up and play strong safety if, if you need him to. And just a guy that has has a whole lot of speed, and that's going to that's going to help him. And where maybe maybe where instincts lack him a little bit, I think he's he could make it up for it with speed. But I think he's just going to develop into a very very solid player. So I I love Sean Davis there for Pittsburgh, and Mike Kraffick and um, at Steeler Nation should be very very uh, excited because I think they finally got themselves some uh, some DBs to work with. So um, a new segment. Any other names, Nick, that you want that you wanted to to mention? Oh, no, I you covered everybody I had to talk about. I don't have anybody else. I just wanted to make sure make sure we were done there. Um, <laughs> new segment, mini dynasty dilemma, I, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm calling it for and against. Now, we're going to still – we'll still do dilemmas, but I, th- I thought it would be fun for just – for a, it's like a it's a, like a dynasty dilemma essentially with one player. So I, Nick's choosing a, a side and I'm choosing a side, and we're gonna go kind of back and forth, five talking points each for or against this player. So this week we chose Amir Abdullah. Try to try to do a little bit more polarizing players. Um, next week I think we're gonna do Philip Dorsett. I think that would be a good one. Uh, just just because there's a lot of different theories out there about him. So, uh, but, but this week we're going to do Amir Abdullah. So I had the four side. Nick had the against side. I'll, I guess I'll go first. Uh, like I said, we're just going to do five talking points each about how we feel about this player. Uh, I think he's very fleet of foot with solid vision that could translate into something special. Uh, now, now he has, now, now that he, especially now that he has a year to, to, learn and grow. He's he's already had a year to learn and grow. I think he could be special down the road here. What do you have? Well, you look at the Detroit offensive system and it's so pass heavy. They were fourth in passing attempts in the AFL last year with 632. Uh, This year they faced the NFC East, New Orleans, Jacksonville, Tennessee, plus Green Bay twice, of course. That's a lot of shootout possibilities, which could lead to even more passes this year, which obviously would mean less work for the running backs. Okay, well, kind of same same market there. I think he's creative with and without the ball in his hands, which could be deadly in this past centric spread them out kind of offense there. What do you got? Well, the Lions uh, split their carries among the running backs. Last year, the three running backs, Abdullah, Joyce Bell, and Theo Riddick, each had over 100 touches, but none of them had over 170 touches. That's why Abdullah led the team in rushing with under 600 yards. Uh, those committees just scare me. Okay, good point. Um, 25 rookie receptions, four-point yards, 
4.2 yards per carry. I think that's a pretty good basis considering he was limited as a rookie there. Well, Abdul fumbled four times last year as a rookie, and he had ball security problems in college as well. Uh, you look at the head coach, Jim Caldwell, is only 18 and 14 in Detroit. He's probably on the hot seat and could easily uh, yank Abdul early if he fumbles again. Fair point. Uh, I think he actually has a quality RB2 behind him in Theo Riddick, which I think can be a little bit understated, even though Riddick's a third down back. We won't go to that discussion again, but I think having a quality running back on the depth chart will help him stay more focused and kind of push him to be better. Yeah, but what, what is Abdul? 5'8", five, 5'9", five, about 200 pounds. That's that's too small to be an RB1. The team already has their third down back in Theoretic, who had 80 receptions last year. And they've got more physically prototypical RB1 types in Stephen Ridley, Zach Venner, and Dwayne Washington, all of whom are right around the 220-pound range. And those guys are all going to be fighting for carries. Uh, fair point. I do want to say that Dwayne Washington is terrible. He's not going to make that team. I, <laughs> I don't like that guy. No offense to the Washington family, but I, I just I don't see him as an NFL player. Um, who? Sorry. Um, sorry. Mayor Abdullah played 11 percent more snaps than Joyce Bell did last season. Now with Joyce Bell gone, there's 22% of the snaps also gone. So, advantage Amir? Okay, so even with all my hating on Abdul, don't ignore him if the value is there. I'm going to go the other way with my last point. You know, I believe DSW has him overrated at the RB18, but one magazine I picked up has him at RB31 in redraft leagues. That's just insane. If he's still there at, say, the 25th running back on the board, don't pass him up. You know, he's not terrible. It's just I think he's a little bit overvalued right now. Fair point, and I think he's overvalued, and this is the reason we chose him for this type of situation in the four against, because there's so many people that love him, and then there's so many people that hate him. <laughs> so I think the, the love, maybe not hate, but just, just like to hate on him, uh, I think the love is driving his value up. And, and conversely, because there's people that dislike him, you know, they know that they could maybe get a little bit more for him if they own him, if they're not feeling good about that situation there, because there's people that are pretty bullish on him. So, uh, yeah, good uh, good topic there. And I think I'm going to go, I guess I'll go against Philip Dorsett. I don't know I don't know if I'm comfortable with that yet, but uh, fairly, fairly decent new segment, I thought. They always think of me. Yeah, it was fun. Looking forward to the to the door set dilemma or discussion next week. Okay, uh, a little plant your flag or wash your hands. Um, some some guys, this is pretty deep, and maybe these guys are all cuts, but we'll see. Um, and I want to preface this: this is probably being the Fred Jackson eulogy. So if I get a little beclamped when we talk about when I talk about him, it uh, might happen. But I don't know if he's even with the team yet, Nick. But what do you think about plant? Obviously, it's can't really plant your flag with the 97-year-old running back, but what do you think about Fred Jackson? Plant your flag or wash your hands? Uh, I've got to wash my hands. Uh, I believe he's 35 years old, unsigned. He, he's had a great career, but it's likely over. I mean, Buffalo even went and signed uh, Reggie Bush over Fred Jackson, so even with the history they have together. So I've got to wash my hands. As much as it pains me to say it, I do agree with you, but I just want to say – Thank you to Fred Jackson for being being my RB 2.5 forever. It felt like, and I know uh, I know our buddy V also probably would echo that statement. But he was such such an ace in the hole, much like Danny Woodhead has been over the last couple of years. Theo Riddick, same aspect. Um, you know, Reggie Bush has also done those same type of things. But I mean, if you had if you had Freddie in your lineup, you know he's getting five or six targets, five or six catches. Excuse me. Uh, just uh, sad to see, sad to see a good one go like that. But you fall in love with certain players through playing this, this, this fun fantasy game. You know, Reggie Wayne is another guy that I've spoken about over the years that's just won me so much money. And I, and I just, just, it's, I guess I call it the Fred Jackson eulogy. So, thank you, Fred. And I, I, I hate 
I hate to cut ties with you, but uh, uh, I love you, buddy. So maybe you can join the DFW staff, and you can be we can be really good friends because I already like you a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> what do you think about Mike? Well, I'm not really optimistic on Mike Davis, but I think it's too early to wash your hands uh, before training camp competition anyway between Davis and Sean Drone, Dewan Harris, Kelvin Taylor. You just never can predict what Chip Kelly's going to do. I mean, nobody thought Kenyon Barner was going to be rosterable at this time last year, so I'm not washing my hands quite yet on Mike Davis. Okay. Yeah, I can't either. I own a couple shares. I know a lot of people are ready to ready to wash their hands clean of him, but I, like you said, you just don't know what Chip Kelly's going to do. And I really, really like Mike Davis coming out. A lot of people on DFW did fell into an unfortunate situation, but maybe maybe he breaks through. We'll see. So we're holding we're holding him right now. Uh, what do you think about Jalen Strong in Houston? Well, he's had some glowing reviews coming out of practice. Apparently, he's quicker after dropping 20 pounds. Uh, he finished strong with six receptions in Week 17 last year, but he only had 14 catches on the season. Uh, I definitely would not overpay for him, but if you can get him for super cheap, I think he's worth a flyer. Yeah. I swear he got busted for pot. I know he did. I've seen documentation, but why, why is he not getting suspended? And you know, Houston drafting Braxton Miller, oh, and Will Fuller in the first. I I just don't really see it. I'm not cutting them, but I just I'm just not that optimistic about what we can what we can get out of him. Now, if you're wanting to trade me for him in DFW sixteen, I I love him and I want at least a third round pick for him, but I, I just I just don't see what what the deal is. I just they didn't draft Will Fuller in the first round to have him be their wide receiver for. I mean, he's going to be their starter, right, Nick? I would think so, yes. Yeah, so I – and I I probably mentioned this 15 times on the podcast. Jalen Strong got absolutely manhandled by a guy that me and Nick love in Oregon State, Stephen Nelson, who is now a roster – a fringe roster guy with the Kansas City Chiefs. The guy is five foot nine, 175 pounds. He manhandled Jalen Strong. They had to move him all over the field so Nelson couldn't get his hands on him. That's not a wide receiver that can excel in the NFL when he's going to get out, out, out muscled by a guy that small. You want, you want him to be more aggressive, and maybe they can get that out of him. Maybe, maybe Newt can really coax that out of him. But I just, I just don't know. I whatever I get from him this year, I will be pleasantly surprised. And if you're owning him, it better be a best ball format because you ain't starting him. Uh, another Tennessee, another Houston Texans pass catcher, Nick. My guy C.J. Fedoris, is he going to get the start? What do you think? Uh, I think you're using the term pass catcher pretty loosely. I started 14 <laughs> games, played in all 16 games, but he only had 17 catches and one touchdown. Uh, plus, you look at Houston added two receivers in the draft to take even more targets away. I'm definitely washing my hands of C.J. Fedorowicz. Could end up being a fine blocking tight end, but I just don't see him being fantasy relevant. That's like over one catch per game, bud. I mean, come on. I, he's a guy that I like coming out as well. And he's got great hands, so he's not going to be relegated to that blocking aspect. He better not be anything higher than your tight end three, but I'm still I'm still holding on to him this year. Will I cut him two weeks into the season? Probably. But you never know. You never know. <laughs> um, Jesse James, obviously, will have a little Ladarius Green discussion here too, Nick. But what do you think about Jesse James? Matt Spates being cut, so James is probably the official tight end to their thing. Uh, yes, I would think so. And with the Ladarius Green signing, though, I think Jesse James is nothing more than a stash you hope develops in a couple of years. Uh, I think 90% of owners should probably wash their hands. Although, if you're not one of the people that believe in Ladarius Green, you got burned by him so many times in San Diego and you just don't think he's the real deal, uh, if that's your opinion, then I think uh, Jesse James would be worth uh, holding on as a stash as, say, your tight end number three. Um, and he's six foot seven, so maybe he's a a guy that catches twenty balls and five or six touchdowns. Maybe he's the Joseph Fournier or, or, or 
you know, maybe he's doing Allen at his in his best years. So I I would probably I would probably cut him too. I know I already did after the Ladarius Green signing, but uh like Nick said, there's certainly a market for him if you want him. Uh Jordan Hill. No, I already professed my infinite love for Jaron Reed. <laughs> I listened to the sorry, I listened to the Pro Football Podcast, Pro Football Focus Podcast, the off season, all the draft stuff, and they have a. He's either Scottish or Irish. Sorry, I don't know his nationality, but he says Jaron Reed's so cool. It's Jaron Reed. It's so. <laughs> uh, so every time I say that name, I think about that. Anyway, what do you think about Jordan Hill in Seattle? Sorry to get off subject. What do you got? Uh, I just think Seattle rotates their defense tackles in and out. That limits their snap counts, plus drafting Jaron Reed in round two. I, I think with Jordan Hill, I would wash my hands in all but the deepest of defensive tackle required leagues. Yeah, some some, there's some of those leagues out there are defensive tackle, uh, you know, heavy or premium. And I owned Jordan Hill in a couple IDP leagues last year. He was, excuse me, before he got hurt, he was fairly a good week to week player. So I, I. I think if you need a tight defensive tackle, I don't think he's going to kill you. And he's a guy that you can plug and play on bye weeks and whatnot. So I, I like him. There's certainly a, a market for him, and I think he'll I think he'll certainly see like a a, a good uh, good snap count percentage this year. Uh, Alan Bailey, defensive end, Kansas City. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I don't love him. There's a lot of playmakers on that Kansas City defense to rack up tackles, but he does have nine and a half sacks over the last two years and about 40 tackles a year over that span. So I do, I do think he's rosterable. He's not a guy absolutely rushing out to grab, but he should be on a roster in most weeks. Yeah, and I, it's hard too because I do feel like defensive end. Maybe it's a little, little less on our 16 teamer, but I think it's a fairly deep position around the league, and there's. Obviously, a couple really awesome top end guys, but then there's just a bunch of muddy waters. You don't know year to year what you're going to get. So, if you have him, you're, you're maybe not cutting him. With Houston, Justin Houston being out, I think he's certainly a guy that you could hold on to at least until that point. What do you think about Lawrence Guy, defensive end, Baltimore? Well, he had a career year in 2015 with 46 tackles, uh, four and a half sacks. Got rewarded with a two-year contract. I think he'll likely never be a weekly fantasy starter, but I have no problem with him as your bi-week filler. I, I would go ahead and plant your flag if he's, you know, towards the end of your depth chart. Yeah, like you, like you said, career year last year. So it's kind of hard to cut somebody after something like that um, just because, you know, maybe – Maybe maybe he doesn't surpass it, but what if he what if he you know puts that out that kind of production out for the next couple of years? So again, he's a guy you're not you're not running out to to break down doors to get him, but if you own him, you you can hold just because. And I and I know they drafted some edge talent there in Baltimore as well, but they're going to rely on their veterans, and I think he's certainly a, a guy that's going to see more of the top end type of uh, snap counts just because he's a guy that just gets it done. And defensive tackles, excuse me, defensive ends that can be relied on to set the edge and make tackles. That's those are the guys that they're not your defensive end ones, but they're certainly guys that are rosterable and that you can play in a pinch and, uh, you know, trust them for a month if he has an injury too. So I I like Lawrence guy. I, I own both him and Bailey in the league. So, Nick helped me decide which one of those guys to cut, I think. Um, Pernell McPhee, I just want to say pass rusher. I don't know if he's really a linebacker. Pernell McPhee, pass rusher. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, he's on the PUP list right now with an offseason knee scope. Uh, He's really a guy that you have to monitor in camp. If you need the space, though, I think I would wash my hands. Uh, Outside linebackers who aren't double-digit set guys, they just aren't the best IDP players, especially ones like McPhee who can't stay healthy. So, yeah, definitely if you need the space, wash your hands. He's a fairly decent pass rusher, and that's where the whole Vaughn Miller aspect comes into the IDP. Guys that get sacks are, are awesome and, you know, if you get stupid amounts of points for sacks, that's great, but week, you know, week to week, it's just 
hit or miss. And you look at what McPhee scored in terms of it's pretty it was pretty average in what he scored for linebacker points last year. Because he, you know, if he was a defensive end, great. But, but he's not. He's <laughs> he's an outside linebacker. So he's just because he gets sacks doesn't mean he's a great IDP player. So I I think you're fairly comfortable cutting your cutting ties with him. And you know, if he's a guy, if there's he's still out there and you need you need a player to to get you through a few things here and there, that's totally fine. But he's not a guy that you're you're holding on to by any by any means. I don't think I don't think you should. Either. There's just Guys out there that are going to, with similar numbers last year, that certainly have better ceilings. And and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe McPhee has 20 sacks this year, but uh, he's already hurt. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that situation. Like Nick said, good situation there to uh, monitor. So we did it, Nick. What uh, any uh, any closing thoughts? Um, I actually have an etiquette question for you. So uh, last week I broke my toe while playing catch at the beach, chasing down an overthrown football into the water, and bam, right on a rock. Am I allowed to classify that as an old football injury? And uh, either way, your answer, I'm just really glad it happened while doing that and not while playing Pokemon because I would never lived that down, right? (laughs) Um, Coincidentally, last Wednesday, I think I – I don't know if I broke my toe. I did something to it, but – I have this really old rickety basement, and I there's there's some two by fours that potentially hold up the landing, and I and I was trying to knock it back into place, and when I did so, it popped loose and split my toenail like halfway down. Uh, so oh. wow, we we might have to start the year on the PUP list. I don't know. We'll have to talk to Dan <laughs> see if we can still uh still get paid, even though they were non-football injuries. So. Uh, <laughs> and if you watch HBO's Ballers, you know you know how fun that could be. But uh, I I don't know. I feel like if it's an old football injury, that means you were a kicker. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Does anybody else break their toe in football? Uh, I don't know. That's not a. Now, if you tore your pec, that would be something. That would be really be something. So we'll see. <laughs> I hope. Uh, I hope both of our big toes recover. Um, so uh, we won't tweet out pictures. You don't want to see my feet. But uh, we will talk to you <laughs> next week. We're going to have Ricky Cobb from the 70, Super 70s Sports Podcast. Um, so make sure you check that out. That's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about 70s fantasy football, even though it didn't really exist back then. But we'll talk about it anyway, just because it's going to be fun. And he's a great dude, and his podcast is awesome. So very happy to have Ricky come aboard and talk to us. So make sure you check that out. We'll be doing all the other things that we usually do too. And we'll have some bold predictions as well as a dynasty dilemma, which I have yet to figure out. So thank you folks. Have a great week. Make sure you check out our other new podcasts. Uh, they're doing great work. We got quality people behind the mics there as well. So we, uh, we love you and we appreciate you, Nick, as always talk to you next week, buddy. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thank you for listening. This has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Um, if I can clear my throat, I'm going to have a great intro for you next week. A new intro, I should say, an updated intro. So make sure you check that out. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Pulse podcast with Jake, Gail, Gail, and Josh.